Hello everyone and welcome to Picture the Scene podcast hosted by me Andrew and me Rachel. Now please note that this is a true crime podcast so our listener caution is advised. We hope after this episode you won't ever be convinced to buy a manual title. We would love you to interact with us on our social media platforms. We are active on them albeit with differing frequency and I'll leave a link to all of them in the show notes. So, how are you, Rachel? How have you been? Yeah, good, thanks, Mr. O. How about you? I don't call you Mr. O. Sorry. Do you mind if I start that again? No, we can leave that in. We'll leave it. Oh, right, okay. Um, Okay, cool. I don't mind Mr. O. Makes it sound important. Um, I've been good. We had CrimeCon. Yes. Yes, you did. Tell me, what what was the most exciting takeaway from CrimeCon? People recognising me. Oh, how we said it last time, someone recognised you. I had two people recognise me, recognised my voice. First was a lovely lady. Now, I was so excited that you recognised me. It was in the Seeing Red live podcast recording before we launched, before they started recording. I I forgot to ask her name. I was that excited that someone recognised me. So Your first ever fan and you can't remember her name. I know, I never asked it because it was afterwards. I was thinking, oh no. Uh, so, so, hi. Whoever you are. Yes, really, you made my year. Um, I'll give you a shout out next time if you let me know what your name is. And I'm sorry I didn't ask. And also, secondly, someone else said this, Samantha. And now I managed to get her, her name. Hi, Samantha. And yes, and she even wanted a photograph with me. Wow. So I, that's that's a real fan, right? I felt like Tom Cruise. <laughs> Well played, well played. So, so other than getting recognised at CrimeCon, <laughs> any other key takeaways? Um, lots of fit, lots of um, opinions about event management, which I won't go into. But okay. um, the takeaways were just that it's fun to hear yeah. about murder and crime and stuff like that, and I just have to accept that I'm a little bit strange. <laughs> Was it busy? There. Oh, was it like away. packed? It was busy yeah. Uh, Five hundred odd people. Takeaway is Mark Randall oh, from yeah. the Seeing Red podcast. He's like six foot tall. Wow. I think I ever think why I always think think everyone's a midget. Uh, sh- and then you meet person. people like me, and you realise that I am. <laughs> no, but I, I always thought Mark was really short. Oh wow! I don't Did you tell to... him that? Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't know if we're allowed to use the word midget, so I apologise if not. Uh, it's not intentional offencement. Um, but yeah, but he's like six foot tall. Wow. And he's a nice fun man, fact of the day: obviously. Mark Randall, tall and talented. And and he told me that he he listened to our podcast. Oh wow! Well, you've just made my year. There you go. So anyway. Are you ready for that all-important question? And we know, obviously, the all-important question is, is it a cheese or a cheese and ham toasty? <laughs> On a breville. Yes. Um, I'm just going to shatter your dreams now. I'm actually not a uh, fan of cheese. Well, that's okay, because there's nothing better. The real answer to that question is corned beef. Corned beef and wow. tomato. Just 
took it to a whole different toasty level. It did. So, other than that, though, are you ready for some true crime? I am absolutely ready for some true crime and to get off the topic of cheese. Definitely. Yeah, though, you're a bit weird. You probably end up will be a serial killer then, if you don't like cheese. <laughs> so, everyone, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. I'd like to take us back to the mid-90s. That time in history when you were either Oasis or Blur. I was actually Pulp Roll, so neither. But every summer felt like it was boiling hot. The future held no fear. And it felt like life was good. And it was only going to get better. You may have been into grunge, a raver, into the house scene, a skater, goth, preppy, hip-hop, or one of the many other trends that existed at the time. People were happy expressing themselves and not fitting into a couple of stereotypes. Instead, there was lots of stereotypes. So, I'd like to introduce you to Stefanos Kolakis and Martin Lewis. They were friends from university, the University of Buckingham, and they'd built up a bond. Now, by the time the mid-90s were on them, they had finished university, they were in the mid-20s, and they seemingly had a good future ahead of them. Stephanos was known to be a confident, assertive individual who at times, when it was needed, could be arrogant. We know the type. The ones are always so sure of themselves and what they do. He had tried his hand in a couple of different professions, including working as a travel agent in Croydon. On the other hand, Martin was known to be self-effacing, quiet and unassuming with his colleagues at the time saying that he was no more to sit at his desk on his lunch enjoying a pot noodle than interacting and mixing with people. My kind of man. Martin did, however, have a conviction for fraud. Oh. In February of 1993, he used the names of dead people. (gasps) When he was at university? He'd finished, so... They were at university. And oh, sorry. Right, okay. Wow. So okay. He'd use the names of dead people to obtain real passports for people that wanted British passports. Wow. Now, he claimed to have committed a crime because a girlfriend of his from China couldn't return, so he wanted to help her out. He wasn't believed, though, partly probably because he'd done it several times, but he didn't receive a prison sentence community order actually so well here we have two polar opposites but ones that had formed a bond one thing they did have in common though was a desire to get ahead to succeed initially they tried to do it legally they wanted to open up and run a lobster farm for example but that didn't work out so together they devised a plan to sell manoro titles which is feudal titles to americans and make themselves rich that way There was only one slight problem with that approach, though. These titles didn't exist. So a manoral title is where you sell the title of lord or lady to someone. I remember this. Well, I don't remember this particular case. But, um, yeah, my friend became a lord of some part of land in Scotland. 
and um, and yeah, it was quite interesting because he was able to change his passport and all of his bank accounts um, off of the back of this um, piece of paper that okay. he bought for like two hundred and fifty pounds or something. No, technically, which... he wasn't a lord, you know. No, exactly. That it was a bit wild, and and the reason why I remember it was because a couple of months or maybe a year or two later, somebody tried to become um, lord of where I live and there was absolute uproar because um, it's a small place and like absolute uproar and then it brought into dispute all of these um, titles that have been sold in previous years and how they actually weren't um, worth the paper that they were written on. Yeah, technically they were selling people, I'm going off on a tangent here, but yeah. while, while we're talking about it, they were selling people the Scottish title of Laird, L. A I R D. Yeah. Which could translate into Lord. Yeah. But a Lord is basically anyone that owns a piece of land in Scotland. It doesn't mm. make them a Lord. So they were selling people like a, a, a one square foot piece of land. Yeah. Telling them they were a Lord. When in reality, these pieces of land actually most of the time didn't even exist anyway. But no. No, that's not what Martin and. No. I'm just talking about your friend, but um, but yeah, and I have to say, people, because we're we're on Zoom and I'm looking at Rachel and she has got the most amazing top on today. <laughs> I have to credit you for that. That's awesome. Um, Zara special. Is it Zara? Zara, yeah, High Street. I know what shopping Zara. Well, the High Street brands are available. They are indeed. Um, no, so they, yeah, they sold titles, feudal titles to American tourists. Uh, to make themselves rich that way. Yes, but they didn't actually exist. Now, one of the Americans that they sold a title to would actually go on to become a congressman for Louisiana. He served 12 years before stepping down. Now, it was widely accepted that the titles were purchased in the hope from the hope of the people that bought them that it would help them get a better social standing and also get them access to the Queen's social list. So, wow. get them access to parties that the queen attended so they could meet the queen um and obviously that's what they were told by martin and stephanus but it wasn't true so they didn't make much money they didn't become richer and they were quickly caught sent for trial pled guilty and they received a community order each now for those of you listening outside of the uk a community order is just a sentence usually of a fine and or unpaid hours to work in the community. Now, I believe they have them in the States, but maybe they're not called the same thing. I think they have them in the States because I saw it on Better Call Saul. But yeah, so many years after that conviction, Stefano showed no full remorse. He would go on to say that it was a misunderstanding and that he received incorrect legal advice that genuine titles could be lawfully subdivided and sold separately. So that's it. What do you think of today's case, Rachel? World's worst true crime episode, maybe? You're joking. I am joking, yes. So, (laughs) unfortunately, that wasn't it for these two. It was only the beginning for them. Upon clearing of their community community orders, they they realised, quite rightly so, that they were never going to get rich or stay out of prison selling fake feudal titles to unsuspecting Americans who wanted a connection with history and to be part of the perceived social elite. So we've had forged passports, 
We've had lobsters. We've had fake peerages. What do you think next is on the horizon for these two? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm going to give you a taster now before I get onto it. It involves helicopters, TV shows, suicide oh attempts. Did one of them... And jury nobbling, to name but a few things. Did one of them become the tender swindler? No. Unfortunately not. Shit. <laughs> Would have been way too old by the time Tinder became a thing. What the pair immediately did, once their 160 hours of community service was completed, that is, was to change their names legally. So, Stephanus Kalakis became Achilles Kalakis. So, a different first name and a surname changed by changing the first O to an A. Martin Lewis changed his name to Alexander Williams. But, so I'm now going to refer to them both as Kalakis and Williams, respectively. But it's the same okay. two people. Now, you know, some might say, well, they've got every right to change their name. It doesn't mean they're going to go and commit a crime. Now, others would say it would be to help them carry on committing crime. Now, I'm going to let you all decide which is which here. I will, however, before I continue, give, a, give you a quote straight from Kalakis himself as to why he changed his name. He said, the reason was because I had done something wrong that was utterly illegal. I paid a price with a community service order. It was time for a fresh start and to move forwards in business. So you could say that's reasonable enough, isn't it? He saved his time, paid his, did his due. He wanted to forget so, about it. I think that's, yeah, respectable. And, um, you know, I guess in those days, harder to do, obviously, the kind of searches that we're able to do in this day and age. So would have been quite easy to wipe the slate clean start again yeah exactly and it's not like they killed someone no obviously nothing's good or fraud's not good but just white collar crime so business indeed was what kalakis had in mind while he had an ordinary upbringing very middle class he did have a very wealthy relative his uncle was a wealthy shipping magnate called lou kalakis i'm gonna get these words wrong who is currently valued at around 200 million pounds but he was once wow. At one point, a billionaire, but he's not now. <laughs> so the house that Kalakis lived in, Stephanos Kalakis, who I'm talking about, was at one point worth 1.35 million. It was purchased via a trust, a uh, trust linked to his wealthy uncle, and also £350,000 from his uncle Lou. Kalakis would officially be classed as an advisor to the trust, receiving a daily wage. This is in the 90s. A daily wage of £750. Wow. But he didn't have the final say in what that trust did. And that was held by a Swiss lawyer who I couldn't find out with certainty his name. I think because, and I'll get onto that later. Okay. The beneficiaries of the trust would be the children of Kalakis. Now, as the years went by, the trust formed a core base for Kalakis's business dealings. As, be, as he did become a successful businessman. He was dealing in properties worth hundreds of millions of pounds. So successful was he that he became somewhat of a minor celebrity. He was a poker player who appeared on a poker TV show's Poker Den, The Big Game, and a televised party poker European Open, and a World Open, among others. He once mm. won a game worth $1 million, and his poker nickname was The Don. He was famed his ability to bluff and never let his opponents figure out 
what he was holding, what cards he was holding. So I think that goes hand in hand. He was a good poker player because of the way he did business. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious as to why his uncle was so trusting with him. Well, relative, isn't it? Mm, yeah, but if he'd, his uncle would have definitely known about his criminal past. It would have just been, you know, the rich don't, don't get richer by making mistakes think, like putting forget, criminals. You don't forget he was an advisor to the trust, so he couldn't make the final choices. Yeah. And the trust beneficiaries were his children, not him. Right. I still think there's an element of risk there, though, isn't there? Yeah, probably. Well, maybe the daily wage was to try and keep him out of trouble. Yeah, good point. Yeah, if I pay you enough, you can keep clean. £750 a day. It's a dice. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wouldn't say no to that, would you? Yeah. Um, Wonder whether he had a five-day or seven-day working week. <laughs> You'd never have a day off, would you? Nope. He would be so successful that he would have, and we're talking about Stefanos here, he would have homes all around the world. He'd have a super yacht in Monaco. He would be seen on holidays with Prince Albert of Monaco, along with claiming to be an ambassador for the country of San Marino and on the board of the British National Portrait Gallery. None of these none of these people have done their due diligence about his change of name. Maybe, maybe not. I don't you don't know, do you? No. He would have he would have at one point a fleet of chauffeur driven Bentleys and he flew between Mayfair, Monaco either on his private jet or in his helicopter. Wow. Do. He never made any apologies for the wealth, his wealth and all the trappings that came with it, and he became a recognisable face in all of the top casinos around the world. It did seem like he had made it, wouldn't you say? Definitely. He's got the kind of life that I could uh, lead, for sure. He had gone from being a travel, travel agent in Croydon to being one of the wealthiest people in the UK. Wow. Exactly. But what about his partner, Williams? Or Lewis, before he changed his name. What happened to him? What about him? I feel like he he, he went the opposite way. Well, he was still there. He was still Stephanus's Kalakis's business partner. Oh, wow. He just, he just preferred to shun the limelight, and he lived a quiet, reserved life. You could almost say that their lives mirrored their personality. One was outgoing, and one was reserved. Yeah, eating his pot noodles. Yes, exactly. Now, it's nice to have a happy, happy ending, isn't it, Rachel? They all made hundreds of millions of pounds and they lived happy ever after. That's how this ends, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, the only people that suffered were the, the non-lords and ladies of places that never existed. Unfortunately not, though. Kalakis would go on to be labelled the biggest confidence scam artist that the UK had ever seen. And he was aided by his friend, Williams, who was described as a versatile and prolific forger, adding the skill and the trickery into the confidence that Kalakis provided. The pair of them were said to be assisted by an unnamed and yet to be charged or convicted Swiss lawyer. Now, how did all of this happen? You have to ask. I'm excited to find out. So the two of them operated from an office in a very exclusive part of London, Mayfair, with Kalakis pretending to be a property tycoon and Williams, his financial consultant. The two of them claimed to operate as a Pacific group. I say claimed because the business never actually existed. 
even Kalakis begrudgingly admitted this once, once he was caught, saying that it was a convenient description of the collection of genuine companies he had for himself. He well. described it in his own ways as a more appropriate way of doing business. Now, under the guise of the name of the Pacific Group, the pair of them produced paperwork showing the companies he was involved in, fake paperwork that is, guaranteed rental incomes on a number of properties, regardless if these properties actually are tenants or not. It will later be revealed in court from evidence from these companies that it wouldn't be the case. It was all fake. Over the course of five years, they managed to convince an Irish bank, allied Irish banks, known as AIB, into lending them £740 million pounds wow. to the property deals. Now, all of the property deals, all of the property and deals were real. What wasn't real, though, was the inflated place prices they claimed the property was worth, which meant they were able to profit about £60 million pounds from those 16 deals for themselves, along with any additional genuine profits. Now, additionally, they convinced the Bank of Scotland to loan them 29 million euros so they could form so they could turn a former passenger ferry into a super yacht now the ferry was in fact leaking and contaminated with asbestos the properties they bought were sought after homes in mayfair and knightsbridge along with commercial properties such as the home office buildings in croydon and the telegraph media group's headquarters in victoria to maintain the present a pretense and get the loans they employed several techniques Along with the fake references and paperwork, they it included hiring actors, offshore trusts, like the one he was a consultant to, and fake backing from his uncle's shipping empire. It wasn't just AIB and the Bank of Scotland that they fooled though. Other lenders they tricked were Barclays, Bristol and West, along with GE Capital. Now, rather surprisingly, before they'd been found out, they were audited by the HMRC, which is the tax office of the government, for those not in the UK, in 2005. But they managed to successfully fool the HMRC with the tax office at the time, declaring themselves happy with the companies and their affairs. Now, you won't believe some of the ways they managed to trick the bankers. One of the companies they said they were guarantees for them was a company based in Hong Kong, a real company called Sun Hung Kai Properties, or SHKP as it's known. But their banks were told that it was just one catch. You won't, won't believe this, Rachel. If they tried to contact the company directly, it would scupper the deal and that company would withdraw their support. Oh, my God. Now, any, the bank fell for it. Yes. Now, any paperwork needed to support this was all forged by Williams. Now, it would later be revealed at court that such was the bank's eagerness to grow a bigger portfolio of property that if anyone initially questioned within the bank the arrangement they'd literally be shouted down angrily and told to be quiet. Because they, they'd probably intimidated the bank manager into, like, if you if you don't lend it to me, I'll just go and find another bank and I'll get a better rate and I'll, yeah, I'll pull all is, my money. This is bank workers who would shout angrily at other bank workers. Who yeah, try yeah, to yeah. yeah, but they did, yeah. It, it, inti- intimidation was the thing. I used to work in a call centre, and this is obviously the days for like voice biometrics and being able to identify somebody through their like, even through the age of their voice or anything, because phone lines are that poor. Like, and you know, people were like, um, it just it just wasn't 
um, wasn't great. But a lot of the time, if you had somebody trying to intimidate you, there was a higher chance that they were actually a fraudster and not the client. And But some people fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Exactly. Now, eventually, enough people did raise questions at AIB. And it was only when bankers from AIB started arranging to go to Hong Kong to meet the SHKP company that Kalakis reluctantly agreed to set up a meeting. The bank was told that Jonathan Lee would divert his trip back to Hong Kong from the States to meet the bankers in the UK and that he was a director within the Treasury Department for SHKP. While the bankers found it odd that when they did meet Lee that he didn't even have a business card, they were impressed by him and his knowledge of the loans Kalakis wanted and the questions he asked the bankers and they were ultimately satisfied. Now, it would later be revealed that SHKP never had an employee on their books called Jonathan Lee, and if the bank had done some research, they would have realised that SHKP didn't even have a treasury department. The only evidence that Jonathan Lee ever existed was found on William's computer, with a file labelled Common Chinese Names, and another file labelled Background History of J. Lee. Wow. Yes. I feel like, as well, that, like, you saying, like, this really dates this case by saying, they found it strange he didn't even have a business card. Like, go ahead. They, this is in, like, the late 90s now we're talking yeah. about. Oh, yeah. They were, they were only caught, however, because when AIB sought to sell some of its loans to German Bank, the German Bank actually did some checks, did their own checks. Actual due diligence. Yes including hiring a private investigator, and he found out that Kalakis had a previous conviction for fraud, so they performed a full investigation. So when a bank is buying debt off another bank, they they can hire private investigators? I guess so, To me, that's that's pretty intense. This is a lot of debt, though, isn't it? It is, but a private investigator almost insinuates that there's definitely something dodgy. Unless, yeah, AIB were, like, trying to shift like be dead shifty getting it off their books quickly possibly yeah so the pair were originally tried in 2011 after this however due to claims of attempts to bribe the jury along with a failed of course. Su- yeah of course along with a failed suicide attempt by williams oh, that wow. trial collapsed and it'd be another two years before they were sent to trial again now throughout the trial the second trial kalakis maintained his innocence he maintained that nothing was ever forged and it was all real. Kalakis was sentenced in the end to seven years in prison, with Williams five years after being found guilty, both of them. That's not even that much, is it? To, we're talking millions of pounds they've made here. Listen five to and this. seven years. Listen to this, though. They were going to appeal the sentences, but unluckily for them on appeal, their sentences were increased. <laughs> That's unlucky, isn't it? To, so Kalakis went from seven years to eleven years, <gasps> and Williams went from five years to eight years. And they're not massive sentences, though, are they? Still not massive, no. So a year after the conviction in two thousand and fourteen, Kalakis was ordered to pay back three point two five million. Wow! Within, within six months, all faced serving another seven years in jail, and Williams was ordered to pay back five hundred thousand, or face an additional three years in jail. So even as late as two, 2020, it hadn't finished, with Kalakis' son taking AIB to court and suing them. 
claiming that the bank illegally sold sold off his father's property portfolio. And last year, the serious fraud office took Kalakis back to court to attempt to increase the confiscation order amount higher than the original three point two five million. So obviously, they believe that he's got more money than than they originally thought. Now, the judge at the trial put the blame solely on the pair, but he also heavily criticised the banks and the banking culture at the time, pre to the banking crash of 2008. The judge also noted that at one point, AIB was warned, listen to this, at one point, before they got found out by the German bank, AIB was warned by its own lawyers not to take what the Swiss lawyer said at face value as he could be part of the fraud. But that that warning was ignored. So the lawyers were actually indicating that this could be fraud? Yes. Don't wow. just the word for it. Yeah. That was the culture at the time, though, yeah. wasn't it? Like, really any, wanted. do anything you can do to secure more income, like debt, get, get, get our balances up. Like, that's crazy. Wonder if anyone got the sack. Probably, possibly not. Um, so now, Rachel, I'll give you a couple of false starts, but we are really at the end. So, what, okay. do, you think, what do you think about all of that? I mean, like, I am really intrigued by fraud and this kind of crime because, when in in retrospect, when you look back, the always so many opportunities to catch and stop it from happening and when you see like television documentaries um or um or shows that glorify it like and when i say documentaries i'm thinking about there's um a sky documentary on the man who bought cricket and that was um, a ponzi scheme um and then there was a obviously the um um the Anna Delvey um, Netflix drama that completely dramatized that fraud. Um, I'm always intrigued by like the moments in, in time when you could have spot and caught and that that person or those people wouldn't have been um, so like far down the line that they, that they eventually got. Um, so yeah, I, I do I do potentially enjoy hearing more about this crime. Um, because um, also there tend to be tends to be less death as well, which is obviously a good thing. Exactly, and I always think about the the actor, the Chinese actor they got to play Jonathan Lee. They obviously, yeah. they, never, they never found out who he was, but they must have paid him some decent money, eh? Well, you know what? Um, you see this happen a lot. Um, uh, Louis Theroux did a documentary on uh, Scientology. I don't know whether you've ever watched it. But he he employed a load of actors to portray uh, characters in um, the Church of Scientology so that he could recreate scenes that uh, he'd heard of um, and not and avoid like you know being brought to court for for filming like real life people um, when he wasn't allowed to. And these actors, I remember they got interviewed down the line. And um, at the time, they were kind of like taking any jobs and uh, they were just keen for work. And there was um, something that I watched in some um, some of the outtakes on YouTube that were like, um, these people had been employed to play all sorts of roles and they would just be given a script and they wouldn't ask any questions. And the, the idea was like, 
you know, do you not want to find out if you're being asked to do something illegally or, or are you just so involved in the role in the element of role play and thrill and the fact that you're getting paid that you just don't care and that tended to be the answer like just don't care um it's just for me it's an opportunity to work um and as long as I get paid like there's no kind of um I don't, I don't ask questions but it, it obviously happens more often than we than we find out about doesn't it with this I, kind of stuff I guess and now you said that I guess if you're an actor the biggest compliment you can give yourself is if you can fool people into thinking that you're real absolutely and they they, um they don't even think who um some of them are so involved in in this method acting of getting in that role that they don't even flinch you know they, they might be asked might be asked questions about like about things like crime and and, and what they're involved in, but they're so involved in in the in the, the method part of it that you know that information doesn't even think to compute later on, and and you know any kind of human being that would be in a sound state of mind might think, oh, should I go to the police about what's just happened because they were talking about all this kind of stuff about crime and jail and you know committing fraud. I wonder whether I I could become a part of that, but that doesn't even cross their mind, kind of thing. Which is a bit wild. I was talking to someone the other week and he was telling me about an actor who I won't mention on here um, for fear of getting in trouble who was that into his method acting that for one of the TV shows he was in he actually like self-harmed so he could have proper like emotions and cry on the screen when his character did. Mm. And I just thought that was fascinating. But Well, they say like um, Heath Ledger was fully immersed in the role of the Joker in Batman, and that's what, like, basically led to him being in the situation that he was in, um, was because he was just completely submerged in in the thoughts and feelings of of his character. Um, that that led him um, to like, you know, the places that he kind of went to. But it's wild, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, we went off topic now. We did, yes. Sorry, people. Hope that was okay for you. So, for one last time, if we save you to do so, I'd like all of you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. I'd like you to think about all those times you've ever had to try to get credit, either for a loan, a mortgage, or anything similar. All the hoops that you had to go through. Maybe all you ever needed was to hire an actor and do a Google search for common Chinese names. So, thank you all. Take care and stay safe. Thanks, Goodbye, guys. All. Bye.